What's good, fam? It's your man, Norm, here. Are you following us on social media yet? If not, you may find us on all of the major social platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. Find us at New Numa. That's P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A. From there, you may find myself and Justin and follow our personal accounts also. As you know, feedback helps everyone grow and we need your feedback. If you want to join our team, have suggestions on how we may improve, if you want to be interviewed by us, or if you have someone you would like for us to interview, please email us at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you would like to see our podcast grow to that next level, you may also give financially to the cause whenever you feel like it by going to our anchor.fm page, clicking on the button that says support this podcast. We will greatly appreciate you sowing into the vision to help us spread the good news about the truth of God's kingdom worldwide. Thanks for your support and keep it locked right here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, today, just for those that are listening, we have Liz Mattery. That's Matori. how you... Matori. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Liz Matori on here. Um, she's running for Congress and um, replacing, in attempts to replace the former uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings, who passed away last year. Um, so... Tell us briefly about that whole, this whole process of you getting to this race and everything. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, thank you for the opportunity, by the way. Yeah. Um, I wasn't planning on running for Congress again in 2020. Um, I was going through a lot of personal stuff over in the last couple of years, and we could talk about it some other time. But mm-hmm. um, when Elijah Cummings passed away in October, I actually got a text from my pastor because he knew that I wanted to get involved again. But long story short, there were a couple other people who were running in the district I had already won. I ran Mm -hmm. um, in District 2, which is the adjacent district, Mm -hmm. currently held by Dutch Ruppersberger. And there were already people in that race, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to run against them because I would overlap them, you know. Unfortunately, I actually care about other people in politics. (laughs) So, you know, some people don't care about other people. I actually considered their, you know, point of view. So I decided not to run, but I also wanted to, you know, get back in it somehow. Mm -hmm. So... Um, my pastor and I and a couple of us have really wanted to get more involved in Baltimore. Um, we're in a Baptist church over in Dundalk. And so Dundalk is pretty much like Baltimore, just adjacent, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's frustrating coming from, you know, the church perspective because a lot of the social issues, you know, have been so, haven't been, undre- have been unaddressed for so long yeah. that, you know, we have a great burden to serve. Like they're a big mission church. So, um, our pastor's always like, you know, Baltimore is our mission field. Mm-hmm. And so having gone into church um, for the last year, I was like, when that happened, it was like, oh my goodness, like this is perfect because we're already going to be involved. We're, gonna, we're already door knocking in Baltimore. Then mm-hmm. might as well amplify our door knocking efforts, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? So um, I got a text from him being like, you got to run for this seat, you know, and I was like, oh, man, there are a couple other people. They're kind of shady characters in the race. And I didn't want to deal with their negative energy. 
Um, and I was nervous that I didn't have the fortification necessary to go back mm-hmm. into the political world. So um, I went in a leap of faith and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do it. Um, and it was a huge transition coming back from being in church five times a week to mm-hmm. like going in a very like carnal political world. Um, it was a big adjustment. There are a couple mm-hmm. of videos out there that I took down, but other people decided to keep up um, with my expression because it's really spiritual. Like you're, you already are exposed to how things are, are whether it's personally and like spiritually, and then you're going into an environment that is fully carnal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like the fiery darts that they talk about is like, oh, those are they. There's one. There's another one. Ah! <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I think when I got into it in November, December, you know, I still was in this place where it's like, wow, why is this happening to me? But it wasn't. I knew it wasn't happening just to just me. It was the fact that one of God's daughters is going back in it and going like being the tip of the spear, Mm -hmm. having the strength to know that if I've gotten to a point where God's led me to this, amplifying his message and being able to speak about Christ specifically in a very political world, um, then he will send the protection that I need. And it's not just me having to deal with it. So that's a long, long iteration. Yeah. But for me, um, looking at looking at Baltimore, um, it's beyond anything the government can do. Mm-hmm. You know, mass murder rates, mass abortion rates, um, high poverty, um, the abandoned buildings. Like that's a negative energy that no one, no individual, will ever be able to address. Mm-hmm. So. I know for a fact that it's a spiritual addressing mm. and you know, everybody's going to church and has that three hours in church and then nothing's changing. Right. So mm. I think that the body of Christ has been very frustrated by the efforts. They're not seeing the fruit, if mm. you will, of their prayers. So for me, I'm like, okay, well, can we bring back that connection to God specifically and go back to conservative principles? Because Clearly for 60, 70 years, whatever that was has not, not only not helped, but it's actually harmed our community. So I'm like, all right, well, probably not going to win this race anyway, because it's a 65% Democrat area, 75% Democrat area. But can we use this as a platform to magnify the message? So that's what we're doing. And I pray to God that we can make that change because I know particularly his people need it. Wow. (laughs) No, that was good. That was good. I mean, you summed it up really well. Um, So now I just want to backtrack then because I've talked to you about some things that you used to do and stuff like that and kind of got into a little bit of your history and whatnot. So now um, I just want to know how did you, like, first of all, where did you grow up and Mm -hmm. how was it for you growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm a D.C. native. Um, so as you might know, in the district of Columbia, residents don't have representation in Congress. Mm. They still have like a delegate, right? They're, there's no vote. Mm. And so my whole life, I'm like, man, looking at, looking up at Capitol Hill being like, wow, I have this dream about like serving, but as a DC native, you know that you can't serve, you know, and that sense of, um, lack of representation we, we are born around. Mm. But I also grew up with, uh, Marion Barry's son, Christopher. Um, Christopher and I went to elementary school together and we reconnected when Marion died in 2014. Uh, Chris ran for his dad's seat in 2015 in a special election. 
was the Freddie Gray year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually had to, while we were working on this campaign, he wanted to run up to Baltimore when that happened. I was like, no, Christopher, your election's the next week. <laughs> like, you need to focus here. Um, but, you know, growing up around, you know, people of power, if you will, or at least their children, um, you have a really interesting perspective on, like, what it is. It's a huge thing to serve. It's a huge sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I think most people sacrifice their personal life for it. And so I think, you know, being a 39, almost 40 single woman with no children almost is like benefit because I wouldn't be able to make these, I wouldn't make these sacrifices if I had a family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, life happened the way that it happened. And, you know, I was sort of took advantage of that being like a free agent, if you will, Mm -hmm. to be able to address the, you know, Coming to Maryland, for example, when I was in law school and um, getting involved with Mayor Schmoke. Kurt mm-hmm. Schmoke was yeah. our dean at the time, and we were always talking about Baltimore, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really didn't have a connection until recently, um, having run for Congress last in 2018. But the thing with Baltimore and the thing with D.C. is that D.C. is not a part of a state. Mm-hmm. Baltimore is. And so even back in law school, I was like, if we can address what's happening in the, in Baltimore with the state and federal level and local level, that's when we can affect change. D.C., unfortunately, is lost, like full-on lost, because not only did Marion pass away, and of course, I don't know if everybody knows it, but Christopher O'Deen in 2016. Wow. Yeah, so that sort of um, working with him, learning about, how difficult it was for him to grow up under Marion, um, but then wanting to serve so much, but then being frustrated with his addiction and not having a place as a young black man in society, all of that. I really, um, not internalized it, but I, it's like, um, like you're walking with somebody and they stop in their traction, you're still walking. Mm-hmm. So I have a really great burden for finishing whatever he could have started because he really didn't get a good start because he was he couldn't get that monkey off his back for real. Mm. And so whether it was D.C. or an Anacostia or Baltimore, it's the same issues but magnified because, again, going with Baltimore, you do have those levels of government. Why aren't you better off than D.C.? Mm-hmm. So that's a weird thing too. So, you know, growing up in D.C., you... And then growing up in a professional family, being you know a kid of doctors, going to prep school and going to Ivy League school and going to Howard Law, like you're like you better do something good with your life, or else you know it's like what's wrong with you, right? Yeah. So, so um, I sort of benefit from having that, I guess, opportunity. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, you got opportunities. Let's let's apply them, you know, and try to you know, pay it forward and lift as you climb and stuff. But definitely with having lost Christopher in 2016 after my first race, actually, I don't, that's why I have that lack of patience, you know, that or that sense of urgency, depending on who you ask, yeah. right? Um, people are like, oh, you know, wait your turn, you know, build out your career. And I was like, well, people are dying, like, right now. Mm-hmm. Our representation is lacking, so... Now that I have the opportunity to step up to the plate, I'm like, let's do it. Because I personally have already buried too many people personally. Mm-hmm. So what's your excuse? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, that's me growing up in D.C. and then being here and why it's, it's relating. 
So I know you grew up with doctors yeah. and all that. Yeah. But um, what kind of a family environment was it? Right. Uh, so I'm of mixed heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's from the Philippines. Okay. And my dad's from East St. Louis, Illinois. Okay. So I think that's cool, too, because unlike President Obama, for example, he, I mean, for better or worse, he didn't come from our native heritage. Mm-hmm. And so that sense of urgency isn't in his blood where it is with mine mm-hmm. or yours. I don't know. Uh, but, um, but with being a first generation immigrant, I think growing up with my mom, she didn't understand all this black, white stuff yeah. because she's like, I'm the immigrant, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm coming from the Philippines, what y'all complaining about? You know, it's like, you've got everything here in the United States. Yeah. We have hardly anything in the Philippines. So, you know, so it was interesting to navigate like what I see now is like the progressive liberal mindset of you're a black kid, you can or can't do this versus white privilege and all that stuff that's really lab- laid onto us mm-hmm. to quite frankly, you know, short circuit our minds, right? Mm-hmm. My, both my parents did not allow that to settle into my psyche. Okay. And so going through Sidwell, going through Columbia, there were always these conversations with advisors, for example, don't ever get my dad to listen to a professor saying, you know, why don't you, you know, register for like the easier classes or why don't you register for like the easier college? And my dad literally would get, he would go to surgery, come back in the afternoon, drive down to the school or whatever and be like, don't ever tell my daughter that, you know, so that sort of advocacy that my father specifically gave to me, I sort of see that on a global scale. Like, I know by the but by the grace of God go I like I was I'm dyslexic so I'm really sympathetic and empathetic for kids in a school system that does not see beyond their limitations right I know for a fact that I had all the tutoring support that money could buy if you will to help me stay the course and it was a struggle for me mm-hmm. how many other people are left out of the system because they didn't have that encouragement in like fourth grade, sixth grade, eighth grade, definitely by 10th grade. Kids are dropping out by 10th and 11th grade on purpose, you know? And if we could just make sure that they had that individual self-worth and responsibility, because it's both, knowing that you're a value and then also knowing that you got to do something to change that, that's what's missing. So... That's sort of the mentality that I grew up with with my parents, um, knowing that you're like, seriously, the world's an oyster. Just pick and choose whatever you want and go at it hardcore. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, obviously your mom came over here and did something with herself. Right. She became a doctor or was she already a doctor before she came in? Right. So um, she had already gone to medical school, and then was trained at GW. So that's okay. how she got to D.C. Okay. Um, so she's of, there's seven siblings. All of them either went to, like, professional school or went to the military. Mm-hmm. So, again, like, that's sort of another reason why I'm concerned about how we are impacting um, higher education and military because those are avenues for people to ascend, Right. So there's a lot of like rhetoric out there that be like, oh, you don't need higher education. You, you don't need to go in the military. But we know that 
you don't have to go, but you can, you can go. And that can change your life, right? So um, my mom's a little bit of an elitist, you know? <laughs> it's all good. I love her. But then again, coming from a culture like the Philippines, there are... Classes. There's like, just two classes. Aren't there? Okay, yeah. There's like, you're good or you're not good. <laughs> like, right. And then that's the difference with the United States where it's like, we have a solid middle class that we are unfortunately losing. But we have to fight to keep because that's what makes our country different. Um, speaking of middle class, yeah. what is it that you think that is causing us to lose the middle class? I mean, it's by design. Like, everything's by design, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we, we can say that in general, but I mean, like, what is it that you've seen that you think that is attributing, uh, I mean, contributing to that? Like, what's causing certain things to happen? Yeah. Slowly but surely or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, I think real talk, like, it's like people are too successful. Mm-hmm. Like, too many people coming from too many walks of life have figured out the system. You know, there's no longer, because we forget, like, even as of, like, the middle of the 20th century, you had to come from the affluent family to do anything. Mm-hmm. Even though we didn't have, a, you know, royalty, there were de facto hierarchy here in the country. And so by the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we did make a lot of strides with breaking down barriers. Then by, 20, by the 2000s, we had too many people success, succeeding. So if there are people who want to control the masses, who want information to be limited, you can't limit, you cannot control people's minds if they're able to think and able to critically think. It doesn't matter about your your degree, if you will, but if you can see fact and be like, that's bogus, let me research, that's where, like, the, the power, the pendulum swings, where the individual gets to discern and decipher what is right for their own worldview versus I'm just going to ingest whatever you give me. So you don't think that uh, having more people be successful is good? Oh, I think it's fabulous. Oh, okay. But I think there's some people who don't like that. Because when you are, when I, okay, so how do you define success, right? That's let's start with that, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think success includes, you know, being able to tap into your God-given potential and thrive for real. Like, if you want to be a barber and you love cutting hair, you want to be the best barber ever. Mm-hmm. You don't. You go to what cosmetology school? You get the license. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a physician, you want to be a surgeon. You got those requirements. You got to fight and study and do what you got to do. If you want to be a you know a construction worker or a plumber, whatever it is, you have identified or God has identified in you how you can serve how you can build a family, how you can provide for yourself and your family. That is what means to be successful. Yeah. When there is a huge echelon of society that wants to get the entire population dependent on government Mm -hmm. instead of dependent on your individual ability, that's the problem. That's what we see. Where we now have two generations on welfare, now almost three, to whereas you're going to school, you're not encouraged, you're not you don't really care. You're tapped out personally. People don't really want you there. And then now you're stuck in a low-paying minimum wage job. Okay, well, then I got to get back on welfare. 
Like that vicious cycle, we got to cut, like, however we got to cut that out. And don't forget, and don't have a father in the home. Right. Yeah. So that just makes it even worse. Yeah. I mean, that talk about, like, well, I talked about my dad, you know, having that encouragement from a father. Like, your mother, like, it's weird. Father-mother dynamics are really interesting. Not being a parent, but being a child, of course, mm-hmm. I can see. It's almost as if, like, your mother's going to love you unconditionally, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of, like, had you in your her womb, and then that's, your, that's her creation. That's her baby. That's mm-hmm. that instant bond. But actually, somebody told me that men aren't fathers until they meet their child for the first time. So the mother is already developing that bond within because they're of that one womb. Mm-hmm. But fathers meet them when they come out, right? Now this man is now responsible for that child. And so that concept of protection is a father trait versus nourishment, which is a mother's trait. Mm-hmm. And so you have an entire community that literally fathers aren't allowed or able to protect their kids, mm-hmm. provide for the kids, provide for their, hopefully, baby's mother would prefer wife, you know what I mean? <laughs> unit family unit now you got an entire swath of the male structure that don't feel like fully men and that was what i saw with christopher where you know he's got a business he's you know he was a construction guy he had a general contracting company you know highs and lows of contracting but he was able to employ all these people who had prior records right mm-hmm. like the neighborhood right and the joy that a father could have, that ha- that they do have with a paycheck that they earned, does not compare to getting a, a government subsidy that now you feel like you're beholden to a system. So that is where it's at. Like, that is a critical piece that we are missing in a community. So, um... <laughs> We're going to no, have to cover a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Uh, there's people I'm, I'm sure that are listening that are being educated right now. Yeah, right. Understand all these things. Um, so what I was um, curious about is the uh, being that your mom was from the Philippines, your father was from here. He's African American, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he would say he's black, but that's what he. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's like I've never been from Africa. <laughs> I mean, mind you, he was born in 1928, so he's all uh-huh. old school. Like, they, they remember when they were Negroes, you know? <laughs> Negro colored people, yeah, right? whatever, all yeah. that stuff. It's yeah. like African-Americans, a new term for him. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good way to put it in perspective. Yeah. 1928, yeah. wow. Yeah. So he was born before the Depression. Yeah, they the did. They, depression. So he would say, um, we were so poor, we didn't know there was a Depression. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, you know, hey. yeah, I guess that's good. Um, <laughs> so with that being said, though, like for you growing up, was there this thing about what are you type of thing mm-hmm. when you were oh, going yeah. to school? Oh, yeah. How did you deal with that? Yeah, so identification. Uh-huh. Um, I've identified def- different ways throughout my life. Um, so when I went to Sidwell, for example, which is a prep school in D.C., um, very elite liberal arts, liberal school, like the Obama kids went there, Mm -hmm. Chelsea went there, like whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I was mixed, you know, Mm -hmm. because 
I, I wanted to identify as mixed because I felt like if I said I were black, I would deny my mother's heritage. Um, and you know me, like I would talk it out with my, well, you don't know me, but now you know me. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to like, you know, talk it out with my dad, you know, so there'd be multiple conversations I had with my father about identity specifically because he, you know, was around Howard, you know, he, mm -hmm. was, he was Howard through and through, right? Yeah. So we spent all our time at Howard University, so definitely had a connection to the black culture. But because my mother was serving at Howard, but then being an immigrant, there was something different about us, right? Mm -hmm. So he said, when I was like right, 16, 17, he's like, well, Liz, I appreciate how you want to identify and I appreciate how you want to pay honor to your mother, but the world's going to see you as a black girl as a black woman eventually so you have to be prepared for how people will portray perceive you versus how you want to live your life of course you're going to live your life however you want to but know that the world's going to see you as a black girl that's in that's interesting that you, you know say I mean? it that way because i'm also mixed heritage okay right you, um it's three things okay. that i mix with um which is your european african and native american okay right so when I was growing up, though, I always said, well, this is before we used the term mixed. Right. It was just, I just knew that I had those three. And so when it came to those, like those standardized tests that we had to oh, take. Oh, yeah. Which bubble I did you fill out? all three of them. Okay. I was like, yo, I'm all three of these. Yeah. I'm I think not, I, I did denying. other a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I'm not denying what, I'm, what I am. Yeah. I don't care who says what. Yeah. And this is interesting because the kind of mindset that I have, I've had it since I was a little kid. Right. And I don't know, you couldn't, I couldn't have been taught that. That was just part of my nature. It's yeah. something that God put in me. Right. Where I just, whatever, let's say if I knew something, then whatever that thing was, I would be, that's what I would say or that's what I would, um, I would stick to that no matter what. So... It's almost yeah, like, conviction. yeah, it was a conviction. Like you can't change the way I feel mm -hmm. about this no matter what. I don't care mm -hmm. if someone's trying to make fun of me or whatever. I know what I am, who I am, and this is what it is. Right. You know, so, but I, I also did go through phases mm -hmm. as well. Like I went through phases where I had to like say, I just kind of just started to, um, because I knew who I was around. Right. I would just identify myself as black right. like that, right? And other people, um, over time, then it was like they were using Afro-American. <laughs> and then... Because <laughs> you're a little bit older than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but the point is, is that I um, I was I was going through phases as well with that. But I've come back to the place where I don't care what people think in the sense of, you know, I know, like your father said, most people... Especially those who are just ignorant of other cultures. Mm -hmm. Like, Americans are so ignorant. I mean, even now, when they supposedly have been traveling the world, mm -hmm. they still act really ignorant about other cultures. Mm -hmm. And it's so annoying because, like, it wasn't until about a couple years ago that people started asking me, what are you? Mm -hmm. And I say that only because I believe before then... They thought I would have been offended probably by them asking me that question. Oh, I got that all the time. You know? Especially or, with my hair. Like, what yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's yeah. like, but not only that, but it's like they could tell I don't look like a certain thing, you know. I, I don't right. even know how to even say it, but. Stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. They know that I look 
like I'm some other whatever you want to call it, a group of people or something. Right. And most people who have at least some knowledge would say, right. you have Native American features. Right. And they would think I'm Native American. Yeah. Or, now that you, you mentioned know? it, I can kind of tell because of your nose, yeah. like your, your bone structure. But other than that, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. I used to get, when I was in New York, um, I went to college in New York, uh, they'd be like, you you Dominican mommy? And I'm yeah. like, no, I'm not Dominican. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there's like a little kid that yeah. would say that. you know. Uh-huh. But it makes sense because yeah. Yeah, like if you include include the sort of African diaspora, mm-hmm. especially in the, on the Western Hemisphere, from Peru all the way up to Alaska, we're all mixed. Yeah. And funny thing about identification is that the first time in my life, in my life, I was not a fill-in-the-blank, was when I started becoming a Republican. Mm-hmm. Republicans are like, just as much as one party is all about identification, mm-hmm. the other party is like... American first. Like, they are legitimately, that's serious, like, that's a serious belief in their mindset where mm. they're like, why, why differentiate yourself? Mm-hmm. And I think there's got to be a happy medium for real because I do think that our heritage means a lot to us. Regardless of, like, if you're a, you know, a Holocaust survivor's kid, mm. I'm not going to take that away from you, yeah, you yeah. know? Or, like, my friend, her, she's from Albania, right? Yeah. She's, her heritage is really important to her, yeah. but her pride in being an American, like that's where you get like that extra oomph of Americanism when you connect with a legal immigrant who's immigrated to the society. And like my mom, for example, she'll always say like, I'm as American as apple pie and like uh, Mickey Mouse, you know, <laughs> because she had to fight for it, uh-huh. especially talk about phenotypes. Yeah. Asians are always treated like they're just off the boat. Exactly. Because they uh-huh. look different and uh-huh. they have a little bit of an accent, accent. you know? Uh-huh. And so, like, my mom, bless her, like, I think that's the reason why she's so about so proclaiming about her that. professionalism because everybody assumes that she's the mate, uh-huh. you know? So I'm like, yeah. she, and I, I respect that for yeah. real because there are people, like my friends from mm-hmm. Sidwell, all they knew about Filipino Americans were that they worked in the kitchen. Like, mm-hmm. that's real. So, I, go ahead, Ma. Like, you got to call her documentary. Anytime you see her, do not call her Rita. Do not call her Rita. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, like, she, like, one time I forgot to tell one of my boyfriends that, and oh, Lord, he was a hot mess anyway, but I was like, that's the one thing I forgot to tell you. <laughs> and she, the, she, actually, her sister mentioned it to my mom. She's like, yeah, hmm, he didn't call your mother documentary. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know um it's a shame that in america even now that people have to assert themselves in that way for them to get respect mm-hmm. in the way they should um i was telling you about how my myself and my co-host justin we're going to be doing a um, podcast recording later mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about stuff along those lines um but one of the things that came out, the reason why it came up is because I saw this woman of European descent talking to a, a young boy of African descent in a very disrespectful way. And this was at Chick-fil-A of all places, right? I was so heated listening to this lady. I almost said something to her. Like, should have said something. I, I know. I should have. I didn't because... I think her her husband saved her. Oh. Because he stepped in 
and he was very nice and calm and everything. And I was like, I, I'm not going to say nothing because of the way he spot, responded, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. if he had come like that, I would have said something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. But, you know, <laughs> the thing that bothered me the most about it was I said, you know what? This is the kind of stuff that keeps division between us because the disrespectful way that you were talking to him, when I see it and hear it, I immediately think it's out of racism. I'm not thinking that you're just having a bad day. Yeah. Cause I'm it not could thinking be that, that way. way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know that that could be the problem. Mm-hmm. But even still, it wasn't like this kid was like being some disrespectful person to her. And he made a bad, he made a, a decision to put something in the, in the reg- register based on what he thought he heard. Mm-hmm. He wasn't intentionally trying to charge them more money or something, you know. But this lady act like, well, why would I do that? I mean, I'm thinking like, okay, why wouldn't you? Because sometimes people do that. Mm-hmm. So why would you make it seem like, oh, that's abnormal that somebody would yeah. do that? Yeah. So anyway, that was a, a situation where, you know, and thinking about how you said your mom, you know, she wants to assert herself in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure people understand who she is, yeah. what she's coming from, all that, so that they don't get her mixed up with the maid or something, so to speak. Right. And I understand that because... I've even had to do that myself, mm-hmm. but it's 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 along the lines of like most people. I mean, I I don't know that you can really tell if a person's intelligent by looking at them anyway. But the point is, is that because of the fact that I'm not, you know, I don't know, dressing like I'm some uh, nerd or something like that or whatever, right? I don't have the nerd look or something. And most people, they wouldn't even think that I was a nuclear engineer. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would just think, I don't know what they would think, to be honest, but they might look at the way I dress a little bit and then they might think a certain way. I don't know. Well, I've never met but, a nuclear engineer until you, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, it's, it's, it's real. Like, I think in general, across the board, People need to take several steps back mm-hmm. because there are people who like the division, right? They want people to think like, shoot, before I left the Democratic Party, I thought that eventually all white people would be racist. Like that's sort of how we're trained to think, like mm-hmm. be on guard, you know, white, white uh, privilege, all of that. But I don't think that anymore. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is that there are jerks on all sides. Yeah. You know, people can have bad days and there's also a spiritual element that gets people mm-hmm. all, like there's someone is going to be used to get you off your mark yeah, uh-huh. and get you in, in your feelings into your flesh. And now that I know more about that, but is there a cultural element that is specific to United States? I would say that, but until you travel, which you do, like I remember when I was in Australia, for example, I was visiting one of my friends um, who was studying abroad there and it was weird. People were like staring at me like hard, like, rude staring like uh-huh. why are you staring at me and uh-huh. it's so rude like we don't stare at here you yeah, know we're not uh-huh. supposed to stare at here but over there it was really comfortable uncomfortable because at the end of the day there aren't any americans of black descent there mm-hmm. like at all maybe one or two but mm-hmm. i sure didn't see him the whole time i was there it was they're australians and people studying abroad you know or not even the aborigines well that's the thing because people only know about the aborigines. Ab- of aboriginal okay. yeah. descent, uh-huh. they were trying to figure me out. Yeah, like what are you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the cool thing about Aboriginal folks is that they're actually they're 
closer to the heritage than we ever will be, right? Uh-huh. They're like, their skin tone is so deep, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I remember seeing the first Aboriginal person, I was like, like amazed. I was like, wow. I mean, not only do I think we are really, you know, diffused in our, in our blood, you know, mm-hmm. especially if we're coming from the same root. Um, I also understood kind of why people were staring because they were like, before they hear me talking, they don't know what and who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think we all can learn from each other. We also need to figure out how we're going to, you know, hold ourselves up because yeah. I mean, sometimes if you get me on a bad day, I definitely might Kirk out. I yeah. just might. Just mm-hmm. I just, it is what it is. Yeah. But I also, over time, now know that it's, there could be other things going on. Mm-hmm. And I could also be having a bad day too, you yeah. know, so. So, in light of the, because we were talking about how it was for you growing up. With yeah. the treatment of you being that you are mixed. Yeah. Were you finding that you were getting more of it from Mm. Those of African American descent, yeah, or? yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, especially around my like friends who were girls, um, there was a bit of animosity all the way through law school. Wow. Uh huh. From people who are who are like traditional black. Mm. Um, I don't know if it was like you know back in the day they divided us to like you know house slave field slave sort of mentality. Uh-huh. I don't know who would who would have been from where because that doesn't have any relevance to this culture mm-hmm. now. But it, I felt as if maybe they felt like because I acted slightly different mm-hmm. that there was a bit of um, like who do you think she is? Snooty, who do you think you are? Like, right? Yeah, they thought you were snooty yeah. or whatever. And in, in all honesty, I'm just a straight nerd, and I'm so oblivious to any yeah. of it. You know, they'd be like, "Oh, you know, you're interested in my boyfriend." I was like, "No, I'm not." Ew, like, you know, I'm just yeah. like, I'm not because I was so sort of nonchalant about certain mm-hmm. things uh, because I wasn't registering that. I wasn't on that plane, if you will. Mm-hmm. I do think that there was a little bit of um, I didn't know it of his jealousy, mm-hmm. but I I received it as lack of. Um, Lack of um, acceptance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And I'm going to tell you, it's like, to me, that's the another problem that exists in the African-American community mm-hmm. where even to this day, there's this thing where if you talk properly, mm-hmm. if you speak properly, they'll talk, they'll say that you're trying to sound white, mm-hmm. which is stupid. Number one, there's correct English and then there's wrong English. That has nothing to do with a color Mm -hmm. or where you're from. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we were to be just real technical, none of us speak correct English in America if we're talking about from England. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That way. However, with the English that we speak here, there is a correct way to say it and there's an incorrect way to say it. You know? And so, you know, if you got somebody that's basically mumbling words versus somebody who has great diction and pronunciation, Right. then it's not about them trying to sound like some other group of people. They're trying to sound proper, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And there is a proper way to sound, and then there's an improper way to sound. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's messed up because you're assuming that proper equals white and improper exactly. means black. And again, y'all need to step out of that because exactly. that's just, you are literally giving your autonomy away to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
we are at a time now where, shoot, especially in this region, yeah, it's not about, I, I talk about it a lot, it's not about, like, maybe in D.C., there are racial elements to who's poor and who's, who's rich, mm-hmm. but here in Baltimore, like, there's some poor white folks here, you know? Yeah. And there's some rich, yeah. arse black folks, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that's the cool thing about this region is everyone is connected <clears throat> or related to everybody else. You know, like, your cousin lives in Dundalk. You mm-hmm. might live in Cockeysville, but y'all are still for the same family. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you're in Randallstown. You're from the east side. Like, everybody's has some sort of connection and appreciation for like there's no other side of the tracks because Mm -hmm. people are from the other side of the tracks Mm -hmm. oh whether it's one generation or your cousin um that's why i sort of like being here Mm -hmm. you know yeah so on a spiritual way a spiritual side of things yeah what was uh that like for your family growing up right so that's talk about epiphany um i was raised catholic because mm. my mom's from the philippines so their big religion is catholicism mm. um but my dad was raised baptist so okay. i would always ask like oh how did you decide what i what me and my brother would be raised under and he was like oh well you know your mom it was a big deal for your mother so i didn't want to have that argument you know so he he decided to allow my mom to raise us as catholics right so i went through the whole like you know, baptism, well, it would be christening, first communion, uh, confirmation, spiel. So I'm like, I was like full Catholic. But well, I wasn't practicing perfectly Catholic, let's be honest. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but um, so long story short, I ended up being in a relationship with a guy who um, was married and he lied about it. And he always, it was, it was like about 2017, 18, like 2017, 18. We were in a relationship for like a whole year. And there were elements where I'm like, I don't trust that. I don't think that's right. There was, my gut was like telling me something's wrong, something's wrong. And, you know, he would make up all these like stories to get me off his scent, if you will. Long story short, um, I had sent him a text and his wife answered back. She invited me over to the house. I met her, saw the whole like living situation. Boom, boom. We confronted him wow. and we, I broke up with him. Mm-hmm. And to make that long story short, he ended up having a mental breakdown to a point mm-hmm. where he could not deal with real because he was so in this world. He ended up being a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like the fifth or sixth woman he did that to over the course of eight mm-hmm. years. 10 years and I was the last, I was the last and first one to actually step up and actually call him out. Um, and so during my 2018 race, during the primary, all this happened right before, um, to a point where I was going between him being picked up by the police because he was being suicidal, being in like the, the psych ward or whatever between that and going to, um, campaign events. Um, I ended up having to get a protective order on him because he was ending up stalking me. And that happened all throughout the course of the months afterwards. So when I tell you I didn't really think I was going to want to get back into politics, that's one of the main reasons, because he was also a political operative on the Republican side. 
There are a lot of people who either knew that he was married and didn't tell me, and they thought that I was okay with it, which I don't understand why nobody would have told me yeah. something, or they were lied to as well. He lied about everything. He lied about his um, his military service, who whose kids they were, all of it, like where he worked. He was a pathological liar mm-hmm. to a point where <clears throat> that was happening. Somebody had invited me to their church, the one that I go to now, during early voting. And I ended up taking on the invitation and that allowed me to connect back into church, you know, being under a very conservative, you know, Baptist teaching. I would have never have considered any of it unless I literally hit my rock bottom, which that was for me. Um, And then I got saved November 30th, 2018, and he committed suicide December 24th, 2018. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but by the grace of God, like he, he had tried to, um, so when you get a protective order newsflash, I didn't know this until it actually happens. Um, these, the police call you several times just to check on you. Um, so one of the last calls, um, they had called me, we were at a holiday party, Christmas party. And they were like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. What's going on? And they're like, well, you know, your ex, um, tried to purchase a firearm yesterday and we just wanted to make sure that you were okay and he didn't make any contact with you. And I was like, well, he hasn't made any contact with me. And she said, well, because of your protective order, he wasn't allowed to purchase the firearm. Mm. And there were two other women after your case that tried to get protective orders, but because they weren't in a long enough relationship, they couldn't apply for them. So if it weren't for my protective order, he would have purchased the firearm. And I knew that it would be a record that I that he would sort of be more bold because I had taken out a protective order on him. But I had to because I had to protect myself mm-hmm. because they would say, you know, if they are willing to hurt themselves. I think he tried to commit suicide four times throughout that year. For mm-hmm. like talk about volatile. Um, they would have could have if he had known that he didn't know I even moved for real. That's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I clung to this area because. I had to find a new place. Mm-hmm. I didn't want him to know where I was, you know, mm-hmm. which is like, it's, he's just dumb. He could have looked at my voter registration. He could have known that I, I moved, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so is going that, That's possible? That, you could look up a voter yeah, registration? Yeah. How? It's on a, a board of elections. You just got to know the person's name. And uh, I think you might need to know their address. Yeah. So then he wouldn't find you then if he didn't know your address. I don't know, but thank God he he didn't yeah, figure well, it out. Yeah. But um, but I just um, now that that has happened, like I now can relate to way more people because when I was, I was talking to you off, off offline, like I grew up in a very sheltered way, mm-hmm. and in many respects, I sort of naive might be the right word, but I never would have thought that someone would do this to someone else. And mm-hmm. so now that I, it happened to me, like when I told my mother, oh my goodness, I was like, so, so I was like, mom, this is what happened. My mom was making scars for this Negro. He wasn't Negro, but you know, <laughs> he was a white dude, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh-huh. But anyway, so she's making scars for him and it's for the wrong branch of service because he's lied about his service mm. record, right? So here I'm like, you even lied to my mother, right? So when I told my mom, because I was really like ashamed a lot because that I, I felt like I'm smart enough, I should have known. But I, my cut was trying to tell me 
or the spirit was trying to tell me, but he would overwhelm me with these lies, right? Really disorient me, which I guess is a tactic, right? I didn't notice at the time. Yeah. So anyway, so she was like, unfortunately, Liz, it happens to a lot of women. And when I heard that, this was all during the Me Too stuff. All of this was happening and like, mine, thank God, wasn't sexual, but it was emotional. Yeah. It was psychological abuse. And it's like, that's why I'm very angry when some people who knew us push my buttons because they know I'm going to be triggered. Mm-hmm. And it's like, every most people who are in the party sort of know because it all happened all during the same election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe somebody would be like, oh, yeah, you know, Liz, you're not well, you're not fully healed, so maybe you shouldn't run into this race again. But because... A, I'm under the blood now and I'm with Christ. So that's a whole nother story. Like a totally new life. Like I know that I have shortcomings, but I know that I have somebody else, mm-hmm. someone else specifically to, to support me. Mm-hmm. I know that there's so many people hurting. Like yeah. the little that I experienced, the the insecurity, the fear. Like I would, every single time my phone ring rang, mm-hmm. um, I would have a panic attack. Because he, yeah. what he would do mm-hmm. was he would call me for random numbers. Mm-hmm. So here I'm thinking it's somebody who's trying to get me, and then he would, he, he would be on the other line, right? Uh-huh. So um, it is what it is. All of that to say that as this a survivor, is, yeah. This is an actual very relevant subject, oh, okay. and I'm going to tell you why I'm, I'm saying that. Because I have been, for whatever reason, I've been looking at a bunch of forensic file, okay. you know, shows or whatever, oh, right? okay. And I find that a lot of times people are targeted right. by the person that they're in some relationship with. Right. And then what happens is if they happen to break it off or something like that, yeah. then that would be typically the first one, specifically if they have a mental problem. Right. Like he sounded like he had mental issues. Obviously. And so the thing is, is that with that being said, that kind of person would be the kind, like you said, stalking, then going to buy a weapon and then talking about they're going to murder you or something like that. Crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of women that are in situations like this mm-hmm. that need to know about this kind of thing. Right. You know? Yeah. So continue with that. Right. So, yeah. So um, that's, again, I mean... Knowing that, like, I would go to the court, for example. Like, so people always talk about protective orders being easy. They're not easy to get. Yeah, they're not. You know, so whenever, again, like, women, men, anyone out there, because it happens to men, too. Yeah, Because I remember meeting a man. He was, like, in his, he was 65, and it was his ex, for example. And he, what she would do would uh, pollute all his church. Mm-hmm. And, like, he got the divorce. He was trying to get separated, and she would basically lie about him at his church. And so all his safe space was lost because mm-hmm. she had contaminated, you know, the, the trust yeah. factor with uh-huh. his their community. So I remember talking to him, you know, in the Essex, I think it was, courthouse. Golly, I went. I had to go to three different ones because it was happening all through Baltimore County, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, um, and thank you for this the service that people did support. Uh, but um. Whenever women, men, if you have a feeling that something's off, 
go straight to case search. You know, don't be ashamed. Don't feel like, oh, I'm trying. I shouldn't be thinking negative about this person. Mm -hmm. If your gut tells you look him up or her up, look him up. Yeah. And if like I didn't even know the dude's real age, like he was, he wouldn't allow me to see his ID, like for real. Like there were certain things where I was like, Liz, why didn't you know then? But I was wanting to be in a relationship, yeah. right? I'm 37, 38, thinking that I gotta be in one, yeah. right? Forcing myself really to be in a relationship. That's another element. But you look up that guy or girl if they have a case, and if they if you bring up that case to them. And they make up some sort of story about, oh, it didn't stick or they were lying. Freaking run. Because there is, it's not easy to get a case. And even if it's dismissed, there must have been something that that individual went to the trouble of going to the court and applying for it. Because I kid you not, I was like... He, I would get calls from his friends being like, drop the case list. You're hurting him. And I'm like, he's been hurting me. Like, there's just so, you have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. And and there are resources, praise God, that like I would be called by, like there's like a couple of domestic violence folks that call you if something were to happen. The police call you mm-hmm. periodically to check on you um, because it's your life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, Having spoken about that, I think that's another reason why I've gotten very adamant about recalibrating our relationships between one another, especially intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. I think for it to happen to quote unquote someone like me, that means that our society has gone so far. Like whether it's me being, you know, a typical professional girl and, you know, I'm like, you know, premarital and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like I'm thinking, you know, traditional lifestyles are arcane but at the same time there's a reason why for centuries and millennia our family structure was a certain way yeah you know to be able to identify and and build a relationship a trust relationship with a man or a woman with a man and you know being a man or a woman you know what i mean a traditional relationship um before you're intimate before you even some people don't even kiss because they want to develop a bond first before the physical because once you break that plane, you're only in a you're not only in a carnal relationship, but you're allowing your carnal nature to be the bond. Mm-hmm. And what we need and what we should aspire for is that spiritual connection. Yeah. And you know, now being a pro life advocate, being like you know, now understanding what the pro choice abortion movement has done to femininity, I am like adamant because I'm like, this is, I know I hit my rock bottom. I can't imagine all these other women who are like, we have totally divorced ourselves from our role as women. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like, this is some stuff, man. This yeah. is like, I'm like all the way ham on it. Now. Well, I'll tell you, I, that reminds me of this comment that this one woman made on Instagram. And, um, I posted something about abortion. Mm-hmm. And um, when she made her comment, she said something about um, the if you make a woman who's been raped have a baby, then it's like raping her all over again. Right. And I was like, first of all, it's not raping her all over again. Number number one. Number two, 
that baby is just as much a part of her as it is a part of that man who raped her. Mm-hmm. So when she's making a decision to kill the baby, she's killing a part of herself. Right. Whether she wants to admit that that's part of herself or not, it is mm-hmm. part of her. Right. The baby. And then I said, not only that, but that baby is um, also uh, denied the right to live because you make a decision that this unprotected person who has no ability to resist you right to you know you're making a decision for them to say I don't think you should live mm-hmm. you know you just took away their whole ability when all you had all that lady has to do is give that baby a chance to live if that baby is not someone she wants to be part of her life after she gives birth so be it but at right. least that baby has a chance to now be right. someone in this world. Right. But the thing about it is, every time I hear anybody talk about their reason for abortion, it's always some kind of um, selfish reason. Right. Always selfish. Well, I mean, again, that's talking about the the shift of one's worldview, right? Yeah. All before now, I don't know where now is. I don't know if it's 100 years, 50 years, whatever. We had a familial identification. Mm-hmm. And even in you know our individual way of life here in the United States, the nuclear family progeny legacy was huge. Like, you know, talk about like your bloodline mm-hmm. was, was a thing. Where you came from, where, yeah. where you're going. Family trees, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to rape or incest, they say, What's happened with the abortion as an out, you're basically allowing for rapers and incest folks to proliferate their acts because they now get to get off the hook with their consequence, number one. Number two, and I know that sounds convoluted, but number two, it is an individual, unique, new being that deserves life that was created by God. Because people think about it, like it's not like every single time you have sex, you're going to be pregnant. Like people forget that the woman's cycle is so specific that there's only about four or five, six days that ovulation occurs that actually would, would that happen? That, that union would turn into a pregnancy. It doesn't happen all the time. Right? So, with that being said, I hate to say that it, when it happens, you cannot then decide the fate of someone else, as you said. And adoption was always an option to a point where now we actually have so, many, so few children available for adoption that people actually have to seek elsewhere because the American baby population has been aborted so low just to, to such an extent. So it's like, you know, like we're basically you're like, you're, you're impacting all these generations subsequently. And you know, the thing about it is the percentage is so low of the, the pregnancies caused by rape. Mm-hmm. It's like 1% or something like that. And the thing is, is that people, they purport that as being the norm or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, what if they got raped? And I'm like, 
I mean, how many times is that happening? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, right. and so anyway. And I actually, when we were at the, no, the, right, the March for Life two weeks ago, mm-hmm. there were these women who were holding up signs. They were like teens, 20s. And they were like, I was a product of rape. And my mm-hmm. mom chose not to abort me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you see that, you're like, wow. Of course that was painful, but those women, because you're also aborting women too, right? Yeah. Talk about women's rights, right? Yeah. There was obviously a way for those two individual women to be able to find some sort of solace and healing. What happens when you are aborting the rape child or whatever you want to call it, you are proliferating the curse. Especially if you think that's like, obviously it's a bad thing. You got raped and it's a negative uh, concept. Why can't you allow for the healing and allow for positivity, something good, something beautiful, something new to come from it? And that's what I saw when when the the I was born in rape sort of uh, protesters was trying to say. Well, it's ironic that you bring that up like that because... First of all, I've heard of stories of people now who've done great things who were a product of rape. Right. And they've done some impactful things in society right. that would not have happened had they not been born. Right. And uh, I wrote a poem back in 2002 about this. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about um, your, your child could be our next leader, doctor or scientist. Why can't you save their life like the Jews on Schindler's List? You know? <laughs> right, right, so, right, right. Basically, um, when I go to uh, the scriptures, um, it's also believed by a lot of scholars that David was born out of rape because of what he said in Psalms 51. He said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And Hmm. then he talked about his mother and all this kind of stuff in there. Hmm. And if you notice in the scriptures, you never hear his mother mentioned. Her name is never spoken. Which tells you a lot. So, and then the way he was treated by his brothers is another thing that kind of like, you know, is crazy in that sense, you know. So, bottom line is, you know, it's it's one of those kind of situations where it's like, um, even though you don't see the actual um, story being spoken of, but because of the way David said what he said, that... That's what leads scholars to believe based on that we don't know who his mother is. We never um, saw where we don't even know, even with his father, we don't even know who he was married to anyway. If that's the case, then that means if he had been aborted, then Jesus wouldn't be here. Right. (laughs) Right. It's that simple. Right. You know, and so it's things like that. When you look at the past, I mean, even even other little what I would call auxiliary yeah. um, pieces of information, like one of his descendants, one of Jesus's no ancestors rather, was a whore, right? Rahab, right, you right, know? right. I remember that. I mean, it's like stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I was, but going back to my father, you know, he would say, um, you know, you can you always act like what you're going through is new. 
It's like there's like, well, going back to the Bible, there's nothing mm-hmm. new under the exactly, sun, right? Yeah. I remember when I read that, I was like, no, it's there. Like here, I'm thinking like it was Dad's advice, but of course, every other thing that my dad was saying, mm-hmm. covertly, it was all coming from a biblical context, right? Mm-hmm. My dad used to teach um, Sunday school okay. when he was when he was younger and all that. So I sort of wish that my dad was a lot more demonstrative, and but knowing how I was when I was a kid, I think I would have rejected it. Mm-hmm. So I sort of well, it seems like you, you kind of rejected it anyway, right? Because you say you didn't get saved until a couple of years ago. Well, I wouldn't have. Not, I mean, I would have not have been exposed to that. Like mm-hmm. I only started going to um, a Baptist church in 2018. Okay. So I was very much like Catholic mass one hour. Mm-hmm. My mom's still well. Talk about it. Like my mom's still Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, she still does the rosary and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit weird because I remember. Um, when I got saved and we were driving up to another event, she's like, so, um, so does that mean that you're not Catholic anymore? And I was like, technically, no, you know, um, sort of, I can't get into it with my mom about a lot of stuff and yeah, the, and the doctrinal yeah. stuff. But, um, but we do pray that, you know, sort of, if anything, what I now don't like about the Catholic church is that first of all, this Pope is just, all the way off kilter. Not only is it, there are two popes currently, which if you really believe that that person is supposed to be representative of God, which there was only one, which is Jesus, right? Anyway, you can't have two. (laughs) So, like, it's just like, you know, simple stuff like that. But even then, you know, talking about reading. idolatry. Right. Stuff like that, yeah. Like Mary, Virgin Mary, like that is really where it gets really hard because it's like okay, so yeah, you have to really. She's still step a away virgin, huh? After all the other kids she had. Right. Well, <laughs> I think when going when you think about it, you wanted to. Back in was a seven hundreds or whatever, they needed some way to again control the masses, right? Yeah. And so, what perfect way would it be then to create some sort of act, right? Right, mm-hmm. which is rosary, whether it's you mm-hmm. know. You know, genuflecting all those different mm-hmm. physical acts that you're supposed to show and portray your faith, yeah. right? Which we know is not what we're supposed to be doing when you actually read the Bible. Mm-hmm. But to my mother's credit, though, in the Philippines, they weren't allowed to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. So that was coming back where, like, in the, in the Catholic Church, it was too... They thought that average people were too ignorant to understand what the Bible was all about. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it's because they wanted to continue to keep that control. Mm-hmm. So she's doing more Bible study, but it definitely w- is within um, the constraints of those. Well, not so much a constraint, but it's like she's coming from a traditional yeah. top-down analysis. Ah, uh, I understand. Where she needs mm-hmm. like a expert, yeah, somebody to teach her what it is and what yeah. it means and all that. So this is where um, something else came out. Recently, in the conversation I was having with uh, my co-host, talking about how some people they'll say this is a white man's religion, talking about <laughs> Christianity, right? And and I'm like, okay, that tells me you definitely are ignorant of the Bible. Yeah, you haven't like, read Jerusalem? it. Apparently, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, Bethlehem. You ever heard of Egypt? You yeah. ever heard of uh, Ethiopia? Yeah. All these places they're talked about in the Bible. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, I didn't hear nothing about uh, England in there or nah. or Russia or yeah. you know what I'm saying. But even then, that's that's also we talk about the impact of the arts, right? Yeah. If you go to especially like the Renaissance, mm-hmm. right? Their big thing was portraying Jesus as a white man on a cross, mm-hmm. and we know that if he, we believe that he's resurrected, he's not on that cross, yeah. right? So yeah. even just that imagery, you're sort of stuck. It's keeping your mind stuck on a paradigm that's actually not, is false, right? Well, you know what's funny, though, about that, though? Yeah. If you go throughout Europe, there are a lot of paintings of a dark-skinned mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. And this is in European countries. Right. Not only that, but the what we call the Black, Black Madonna. Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's stuff like that that's right there in your face. Yeah. Like, if you go over there, yeah. that's still showing you, like, okay... Yeah, pre pre all that other stuff, this yeah. is what they were looking at. And this yeah. is what they were believing in, you know, as far as the look and everything. But it's like now because of, I'm going to say, hundreds of years that have gone by and, you know, with the whole slavery thing in America, that's what really lends to that whole discussion for African-Americans to say that's a white man's religion and to cause them to try to say, I'm not going to do that because they use that to oppress me. You know, that kind of nonsense. Right. It's all lies. And those that are aware of the truth, they know that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, that's one of the things that, especially that I try to do when I'm dealing with those kind of people to break things down for them historically and and all kinds of other ways Mm -hmm. that I can to show them like your belief system is messed up. You really don't understand what's going on here. And this is, like, I just actually, about a month ago, mm-hmm. I was talking to a guy who, he was supposedly going through this studying about things in the Bible and then trying to get a spiritual understanding of things. And mm-hmm. he was on this search, but he started talking to these Hebrew Israelites. Oh, no. And when he was talking to them, you <laughs> don't know. Don't do it. Oh, don't you already do it. Know. So when he was talking to them, they're making him really messed up in his head about what he's thinking mm-hmm. about stuff. And I said, listen, man. You know, I was glad he was open and listened to what I was saying because I was like, listen, first of all, I gave him some facts about the Bible Mm -hmm. that he apparently never thought about. And it was along the lines of what I just said said to you about, you know, look at the countries that's talked about in the Bible. Right. Look at the region where the Bible came out of. Look at this, that, and the third. How in the world is that associated Mm -hmm. with Europeans? Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, not only that, when you add to... You know, Catholicism overlapping traditional Christianity. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the people who criticize Christianity are actually thinking about Catholicism. Exactly. And Catholicism, the branches were between the Eastern Church and the Western Church, where it was like the, it used to be where Istanbul or Turkey mm-hmm. was the core, which would make sense because that's all in the Middle East. There were two popes, again, going back to those two pope situation. There was one in, in Istanbul, and there was another one in Rome. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, they're like, well, the seat is now in Rome. And that's mm-hmm. when it shifted to a more Eurocentric religion. Mm-hmm. Not faith, religion. Yeah. And so, conquistadores all throughout, yeah. that's sort of where it kind of grew. But even that, Catholicism and then Protestantism tried to recalibrate a lot of the uh, the truth, if you will, going mm-hmm. back to the Word, going back to the Bible, mm-hmm. Catholicism has always sort of 
been more powerful. Yeah. Um, and, the, and another thing that I think is interesting is that they say that, you know, there was the way. Mm-hmm. Catholicism is one of the largest religions in the world. Well, if the way's so narrow, how's it so many people? How's it right? so big? But then, if you look at how much fewer Christians are, mm-hmm. like you know, Bible-believing Christians, mm-hmm. the church is supposed to be small. It's supposed to be you know, neighborhood, you know, you and three people or whatever that identifies as the church. That is sort of more powerful because that's when the Holy Spirit can move within. Versus, I'm going to go to some like basilica. And activate myself there. No, that's not how it goes, you know. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I mean, and also yeah. having experienced going to the basilica, and then I know that my con- I've never felt more of a connection to. Well, I should say, I've never appreciated my connection to Jesus Christ more now than before. Like it's it's now that I feel it versus before. I never, I knew about God, but there was definitely not a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the difference, you know, most people don't understand if they're not in Christ. Like, I, you know, I was talking to this guy, another guy, a couple of weeks ago, and he, um, I just asked him the question, I said, man, how long is it going to be before you get give your life to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Because you've been around me and your other friend all these years and you have never, ever considered that. I'm like, what is it? I mean, are we so, are we corny? Are we like, you know, whatever. I was just like, what is it about us that's making you not want to make that decision? He was like, no, man, it's not that. You know, I've actually, um, I've asked, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's that's cool that you believe that, but mm-hmm. guess what? The devils believe it too, and right. they tremble. Right. So you believing that he is the Lord has nothing to do with your right. salvation. Right. It's about a relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's when everything shifted in that conversation. And so the bottom line is people, they go through these rituals and they go through these different types of procedures that they think is supposed to be making them a certain kind of person. Right. But that has nothing to do with actual salvation. Right. And then that has nothing to do with changing who they are. Right. You know? So, um, but that's a good point there. Now, I want to know, based on um, all of these things that's happened in your life recently, mm-hmm. um, like, what is it that, because I know you said you were involved in the music industry at yeah. some point in time. Uh-huh. And I never heard how that actually came about. Like, oh, what was right. it that got you into the music industry? Well, again, another relationship, really. Um, I'm a, I always, always say um, I'm a recovering ex-girlfriend of a bass player. So, like, my ex, one of my exes, my main ex uh, before this other one, um, was a ba- uh, was a bass player. Mm. I guess he's still playing. I don't know. Mm. Um, but he also was an alcoholic. Okay. So, long, long story short, that's a lot of. You know, late yeah, hours, yeah. going to gigs, and, and then wanting to help him out. And then simultaneously, I got a opportunity to work at a independent distribution company in Rockville. Um, so I was like, while well, I was in business school. So it was cool to like, you know, create, you know, one, like sh- one sheets and like mm-hmm. catalog and all that and try to get a description of a CD, whatever, oh, CDs, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Liner yeah. notes. And if you ever had liner uh-huh. notes, you know, those cool things. Um, but I also 
understand that there needs to be more of like a structured business around music because for me, regardless of the relationship, how however it went sour, I do believe that music is sort of like a gift from God and that far too many people give up on their art mm-hmm. in order to, you know, get a day job. Yeah. And a lot of talent is lost by that. Yeah, I can attest. Right. <laughs> but having said that, it's a big risk to, you know, not everybody has the ability or, or the drive to just say, you know, I'm an artist and I'm going to commit because, you know, there's also the, the underbelly of art. I also do think that we can see, obviously, that the best musicians aren't getting the shine. It's the ones that they can market. A lot of the images that are proliferated are not substantive, especially when it comes to women in art. Oh, yeah. And, or even black, black yeah, boys yeah. in art, black guys in art. Um, everything has to be Lil, right? It shouldn't. You should. It's like it's like uh, you should be aspiring for something greater. But you know, that's some undercurrent bull crap. Uh, You know what I mean? That is totally emasculating, (laughs) especially to black men. Exactly. Right. So you're like you want to be. And first of all, I I'm I don't think Jay Z has a very powerful voice. I know that it's going to be a controversy because some people think that Jay Z is like the most powerful. Rapper, but I traditionally like more baritone in my rapper, you know? Mm, yeah. But um, it's really, it, it, I would love to get more involved in it, but you also need to be able to pay the bills. Mm. And um, I do think that it'd be cool to sort of support art because I do think that it's useful and powerful, mm-hmm. but you have to really identify a good formula. Okay. I mean, yeah. So moving forward from here with the political arena, yeah, where you see yourself going with this? Well, I mean, obviously, I'd love to be in Congress about yeah. this time last next year, but um, you know, we'll see this race out. We have a special election, and then we have a regular election in April. Mm-hmm. Um, but from these experiences, I definitely think that speaking more about pro life is like my my thing. Mm-hmm. Getting more people. Like, I was pro-choice before I was a supporter of Planned Parenthood until I learned the truth. Mm. And now that I learned the truth, I'm like, yo, like, this is so messed up. Like, the Mm. connection between cancer and even birth control and cancer, Mm. you know, um, because I'm coming from that world, I feel like I can share my story and more people, like, we all know that something's off, Mm. but we are being told this is the only way you can be. I was like, well, I don't want to be that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Then I would like to see us build that groundswell of more and more people like turning away from that, recalibrating our personal relationships, making sure that we go back to more of a wholesome way of life mm-hmm. because that's what we need Yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. So, um, I definitely want to see you in office. Yeah. You know, we need to have more more believers in there. And um, if it's possible, right? Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. It's all about if that's what God has purpose for you, right? And if you believe what He's put in your heart, right? So here's the thing that I I, I don't know if I've shared it on this on my podcast yet or not, but I um I got a revelation a long time ago about 
how faith works. So, and I'm going to use my story that happened to me and how I have seen it throughout the Bible when you actually know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So in uh, 2007, I was, um, I was on my third or fourth time looking for a house, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't actually, I didn't start yet. I was actually um, at the end of the year and it was like, I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of it anymore because I had already tried it in August of that year. Right. So it didn't work out, obviously, in August. Now this was Thanksgiving. I'm at a friend's house, and he's talking about, um, well, this guy is there that's talking about his real estate agent and everything. His realtor calls him while I'm, while we were there, I think, and um, and tells him about this house. And he was like, yeah, um, you can get this house for 85 and sell it for like 150 or something like that. And I was like, what? Man, I need to talk to this guy. I need to find out how I can get a house like that and flip it. <laughs> so I knew in my spirit immediately that I needed to get with this guy. Mm-hmm. So I got his number. So I called the guy up to set up an appointment. I had the appointment set for Monday. So Monday comes. We look at all these houses. I'm like, all right, I want to look at all these houses right here, whatever, basically. That Friday, I was laid off. <laughs> okay? Right. I didn't know that was coming. Right. But I knew I had to go look at houses the next day. Right. Now, in my moment of that happening, I had a choice. Am I going to follow what I felt in my heart to do that the Lord was leading me to do? Or am I going to believe the circumstance and say, I can't do it now because I don't have a job. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I had a moment where I had to make a decision, split decision. Right. Split second decision, rather. So then... I said, well, this is a test of my faith. I'm going to look at those houses. I went to look at the houses. I didn't see anything I liked. But then I told the realtor, I said, let's go and look at some more next weekend. So he was supposed to, I guess he sent me a listing of houses. And, you know, I just chose the ones I wanted to look at. So then I don't know why, but for some reason, at some point, uh, um, I started thinking, man, you know, if this keeps on and I don't have a job, I'm, I don't know if this is going to end up being a situation where this guy is going to feel like he wasted his time with me or something right, like that. Right, right, So I'm like, maybe I should tell him I don't have a job. So then one of my friends was like, Norman, just tell him that uh, you temporarily are without a job, but that, you know, you believe that you'll be working soon or whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that would be a good way to say it. And then they were like, and plus, you can let him decide if he wants to work with you anymore after this point. So I went to him and I told him the situation. He said, listen, man, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to get this house. He said, okay, well, I'm with you on it. And I said, okay, well, let's go. So then a few days later, we go looking at houses again. That day, I saw a house that I liked. It was three houses I was looking at that day. The second house I said, this is it. As soon as I walked in the door, I'm like, this is it. He was like, well, no, we still haven't looked at the third house. I said, it doesn't even matter. This is it. Now, I said, I'll go look at that house because I said we were going to look at it. And I don't want you to feel like you wasted your time. But this is it. No doubt about it. So next thing you know, um, at the end of the day, because I ended up going to the other house, but I was 
I just came back to the house and I was like, that's the one. So then at the end of the day, we put in an offer. So when I put in that offer, um, I put it in for less than what they were selling the house for. So then the guy comes back, who the seller comes back and he's like, hey, uh, we want this much now for it. So it was 10000 more than what they were originally trying to sell it for. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, that's okay. And I said, you call, you tell that guy, this is exactly how I, this is almost exactly how I said it to him. I said, you tell that guy, I don't want the house as much as he wants me to buy it. And I said, if he doesn't change that price at least to the original price, I'm walking away. Just like that. And he was like, you want me to say it just like that? Just like that. Tell him. So he told him whatever he told him. Next thing I know, we get the offer back, and it's the same price that they originally had, like I said. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, we accepted it. And literally within 16 days of accepting that offer, we were in that house. I didn't have a job. I didn't have hardly any money. And we would have been evicted had I not, had we not gotten that house, we would have been evicted. That's how bad it was. We only had till the end of the month. And 16 days was only three days before the month ended. It was the fastest closing in the history of that realtor company. 16 days. But my point in bringing that up is faith. Right. I heard in my spirit to do it. Right. The, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Most people, when they hear that, they think it's talking about hearing a preacher preach. Mm -hmm. That's not what it means. It's talking about God speaking something in your spirit to say, go do this. When he speaks it to you, then you have the faith to do it. Right. If you don't have the faith to do it, he hasn't spoken it to you. Right. And so I'm saying that to you about this race, yeah. that if he hasn't spoken it to you, you're not going to have the faith for it. Oh, he did. But if he spoke it, you have the faith and it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So you. that's that. <laughs> All I right. So. You. <clears throat> um, I just want to give you the opportunity to share with people any kind of like way that they can contact you or whatever or support or whatever. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So our website is just voteforlizmatory.com. That's vote for F-O-R Liz, L-I-Z-M-A-T-O-R-Y.com. I'm on Instagram, but I got to redo my app. So whatever. <laughs> it's um, at Liz for Congress. Twitter is at Liz for Congress. And then on Facebook, I'm more on Facebook really okay. you can just look up Liz Matory for Congress and I'll be there okay yeah we put up a lot of videos I got some interviews um you know with Terry Beatley she wrote okay. a book about um her um, interviewing the abortion king uh so that's been really helpful to get the word out abortion king yeah man oh wow I Bernard mean, Nathanson oh wow he's a guy who basically made abortion cool which is a horrible thing to say wow but he um persuaded um Planned Parenthood to pick it up because even Planned Parenthood in the 60s didn't want abortion. Isn't that crazy? Mm, that is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So is this guy, um, is he a Christian now? Or well, that he was... actually, for real, that's now that you ask, mm -hmm. he was an atheist before. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff comes from atheism. Mm -hmm. And then his turn was when the sonogram came out. In the 70s, it was a new technology, mm -hmm. and he was an OBGYN. And for the first time, he could actually see the heartbeat of mm -hmm. the baby. Wow. And apparently that's where he started turning 
his mind his mind started turning and he ended up becoming a Catholic. But mm-hmm. at the very least he said he ended up being pro life and really mm-hmm. against abortion and tried to, you know, dedicate his life. He passed away, but now um one of my friends is picking it up and um she's named her organization the Hosiah Initiative. Hosiah mm-hmm. Initiative. Mm-hmm. And I think in Hosiah she said that there's um passages where like um my people perish with lack of knowledge. knowledge yeah. So wow. that's true. So mm. that's what we're doing. Yeah, I gotta get in touch with this person. Yeah, I'll get you. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show with me. Thank you we for having me. It. I really appreciate definitely. it. Definitely. Don't uh, forget to vote, people. Yeah, and um, <laughs> definitely want to uh, join forces with you on cer- certain things in the future. Absolutely. Definitely make some things happen. Okay. All right. Well, you've been listening to the New Numa Godcast. Thank you again for all of your support. Um, like I've told you in the past, if you're on Apple, please make sure you give us a five-star rating. If you're on um, Spotify, follow us. Uh, if you're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, make sure you follow us there as well. And um, we look forward to having you uh, comment and all those things. We're going to have a website up pretty soon, and uh, you'll be able to interact with us there and things of that nature. It's going to be a lot of good things there. Um, So thank you again for listening, and we appreciate your support. Peace.